The Never Before Project presents the Lethal Faith Podcast with your host, Dr. Michael B. Nye and Blake Harris. This podcast is for students, parents, and church leaders who are interested in keeping their faith strong. Visit us online at neverbefore.tv or on Facebook at The Never Before Project. Let's get into the podcast. Hello, this is Dr. Michael Knight, and we're here with Blake Harris, and we are talking about a very important subject. It's actually the Achilles heel for the reason why most kids leave the faith or why people leave the Christian faith outside of biblical authority. And that is, if God is good and God is all-powerful, then why is there so much evil in the world? The argument goes, if God is all good, he'd defeat evil. If God is all powerful, he could defeat evil, but evil isn't defeated, therefore there is no God. And so the last podcast, we walked through that and Blake, we got to the question, what's the Christian response of evil? Why don't you open us up? That's right. You know, know, we were talking about, does God ignore evil and things like that? But the Christians, I think, need to begin to respond as that, A, number one, God's powerfulness is misunderstood, and we misunderstand the concept of doing away with evil. You know, if we truly do away with evil and suffering, uh, what what would our world look like? Uh, I would even begin to argue that you wouldn't even be born. You know, it is that because even through suffering and that we are born, you know, there is great pain in childbirth. I mean, so uh, I even think about Jesus. He he was born through suffering and died through suffering. That's true. And you made a brilliant point the last podcast about God's all-powerfulness is misunderstood, that we misunderstand the concept of how God is going to do away with evil. The argument, if God is all-powerful, he could destroy evil, but he hasn't destroyed evil. Therefore, God is not all-powerful or he refuses to destroy evil. Yeah. So he's not all-loving. It's not literally true that God can do anything. Now, don't call me a heretic. Don't write me any letters because God can't cease being. That's true. He can't change. Hebrews 6 and 18 says it's impossible for God to lie. Uh God cannot make a square circle or a round triangle. That's right. The Bible even says that he won't go against his own word. That's right. And so um, God can destroy all evil without destroying, God cannot, excuse me. Here's the point that Christians need to understand and that the response to evil and suffering, if God is all powerful, if God is all good, if God is um, all loving, then why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? It starts with understanding, we misunderstand God's powerfulness, but it also kind of, goes into the fact that God cannot destroy evil without destroying freedom. That's right. There's the secret. (laughs) Man, and that's really where I like, I I talk to people about this question. That's really where I lead them is that if God takes away all those things, then there is no freedom for you to choose to do anything. You know, uh, if, if you don't have a choice, then you're just a robot. You're, you're a computer and, and you can never do anything besides exactly what you've been programmed to do. Yeah, the answer is actually found in the Garden of Eden. Yeah. One of the best theological books in the Bible, of course, is the book of Romans for doctrine, but just life in general is Genesis. It is so deep if you really study it. And the answers to life, I mean, the fact that God created this as male and females. Yeah. 
you know. Uh, but look at the two trees. There's two trees in the garden because love demands a choice. Yes. God doesn't make us love him. So therefore he makes us choose him. Choose you this day whom you're going to serve. And so God uh, put two trees in the garden and he gave man free will. He gave man free will to choose between the two trees, the trees of, of, of the life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What people don't understand is that Revelations 2 and 7 says, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give you the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So the truth is there's two trees in the garden, but when the world ends and God judges humanity, there's only one tree. And I always, you know, this is funny, and I say it a lot, but I always thought when I was a kid, God, if I ever do make it to heaven, I'll get kicked out. You know, <laughs> I, I, me staying up there is almost impossible. And I began to realize as I grew older theologically and went, you know, to school, it's impossible to get kicked out of heaven because there's no free choice in heaven. You cannot make the choice to sin. Freedom has been taken away because God cannot deal with evil until he's first without taking away from grace. And so, well, then let, let me say, say this then is I want to pose a question to you then since you say that, is that how, if in heaven there there is no choice, how is it that Lucifer sinned the sin of pride? You know, that's a great question. And my only answer would be Lucifer and angels and Lucifer is an angel, was created in a different way than humanity was created. We were created with uh, free choice for a season before the judgment. And that God is wanting to go back to Genesis. If you wanna understand revelations, understand God's purpose in Genesis. He wants a world where there's no sin, no corruption, no, no pedophiles, no abuse, no, no molestation, no murder, no raging the capital, no anarchy, no um, uh, burning down people's property because they're conservative. He, he, he's going back to that world and his plan for humanity is to remove evil. That's his plan. What if I told you there's more good news coming? And to do that, he had to make a way of salvation. Angels mm -hmm. don't have a way of salvation. That's right. And secondly, um, he... Uh, will bring us to the place, and I believe in future eschatology, it believes, I believe in a rapture, and I believe in a um, seven years of tribulation, and I have been on a long, difficult journey with that, but I do believe that is the most logical explanation for prophetic literature. Um, and that prophetic literature suggests that there's coming a day when everyone's going to be judged, and that there will no longer be evil. And the reason there's evil is because people have a free choice. Yeah. So Satan had a free choice. And how he did that, being where he is at, was at, and knowing what he knows is flabbergasting to me. There's some things that I don't know. And I, one of my favorite quotes is, I'll keep my mouth shut where God refuses to open his. Yeah. You know, and that's one of them. <clears throat> yeah, I, I agree. I, I think, you know, for to have stood in the very presence of God and still think that you were 
You wanted to ascend higher above God? I cannot imagine the arrogance inside of you to even begin to think that, you know? And so uh, that's always been a question I've always pondered. You know, is it just because that they were a different class of beings that they were allowed to do that or what? You know, we don't know, but my assumption is there's a difference between an angel and a human being, humanity. Um, You know, to destroy all freedom is to destroy the possibility of all moral good. So God cannot destroy all evil without destroying freedom. He's willed to create free creatures. So given free will, it is impossible for God to destroy evil. The only way God could literally destroy all evil is to destroy all freedom. To destroy all freedom is to destroy the possibility of all moral good. All moral choices are free choices, good or bad. And so does this mean that God can never defeat evil? No, it doesn't mean. So what if God made everything perfect? And one of the perfect things God made was free creatures. And free will is the cause of evil. So imperfection or evil can rise from perfection, not directly, but indirectly through freedom. So why can't evil be stopped? If God is all good, he would defeat evil. If God is all powerful, he could defeat evil, but evil is not defeated, hence there is no such God. The fact that evil has not yet been defeated is no proof that evil will not eventually be defeated. You're, you're right on, you know, and that's really the, the story of how it comes about is that God is going to destroy evil. God is going to destroy all those things. He is going to make everything perfect, you know? And so, you know, like what what you were saying earlier is, what if I told you there is more good news coming, that the gospel story was never meant to stop at the cross, that the work of Christ was finished, but the end results for God to bring it back into unity with his perfect, good, kind, and no suffering world through a very clear, thought-out process. That's exactly right. Therefore, the truth is... If God is all good, he would defeat evil. If God is all powerful, he could defeat evil. Evil is not yet defeated. Therefore, one day it will be defeated. That's right. Now that's the answer to the argument. The the world wants to say, if God is all good, he would defeat evil. If God is all powerful, he could defeat evil. But evil is not defeated, hence there is no God. The Christian response to that is, if God is all good, he would defeat evil. And if God is all powerful, he could defeat evil. Evil is not yet defeated. Therefore, one day evil will be defeated. The very argument against the existence of God turns out to be the vindication of God in the face of the problem of evil. God is not finished. That's right. Now he said it is finished. And I know people are going to bring that up. But the story isn't finished. His plans are, are restorative. Correct. And it's you can go really, really far out on that subject theologically, but... You know, well, I think, you know, I think about that scripture, you know, saying it is finished. You know, Paul then goes on later to say he's blessed us with every spiritual blessings. Maybe it's finished spiritually, but in our natural states, it's not quite finished yet because we're still waiting on the rapture of the church. If you're a Christian and you're saying that, well, at the rapture of the church, then I'm going to get a new body. You know, Paul Paul calls it a glorified body. And so there's still a, a progression to redemption, even though like once we're raptured, we get a glorified body. Well, guess what? The story still doesn't end there. God's still going to come back and recreate the heavens, recreate the earth, and then he'll completely do away with it. And his plan for defeating evil may not have been my plan, may not have been your plan. But the point is, there is a plan to defeat evil. God hates suffering as much as you do. 
Jesus cannot stand to see his people suffer. He hates that. Uh, now, you, you got to be careful because God will get involved in the suffering. Yes. He'll get involved in the process of cancer and all of the other maladies that happen to humanity. And he is a very present help in time. And he will not leave us in the midst of our suffering. And he gets involved with us. But his plan is the very best plan. You see, the story of Jesus has never intended to end with Christmas and Easter. He has no plans on leaving his children hanging. So he has ever intention of separating sheep from goats. And on that day, he's going to remove evil from this world. Therefore, aren't there better options for the world than the one that we have now? Is there a better way to do it than the one that we're suggesting, excuse me, Jesus would do? While this may not be the best world possible, it is the best way to the best world. And if God is to both preserve freedom and defeat evil, then this is the best way to do it. Separate the sheep from the goats. Thus freedom is preserved. Evil is overcome. Sin will cease. And those that choose God will be confirmed. Those that choose to reject God are eternally quarantined and thus cannot upset a perfect world anymore. I'd be so glad when that happens. <laughs> So we go back to a perfect world. The gates of hell are locked from the inside by people's free choices. And what people need to understand very clearly is that in this separation of the sheep and the goats, when he begins to deal with sin, he's going to do such a thorough job of it. We're ready for him to get rid of pedophiles and we're ready for him to get rid of anarchists and we're ready for him to get rid of people destroying property and lawlessness that is abounding like 1 Timothy 3 and 1 everywhere, maybe 2 Timothy, but 3 and 1, we're ready for him to get rid of it. The problem is when he gets rid of it, he's going to get rid of my white lie. Yeah. He's going to get rid of the evil in my life. That's right. Uh, and that's where you better have a strong understanding of what it means to be righteous only through the blood of Jesus. Um, so our gift, free will, then also becomes our problem. If God were to stamp out evil today, he'd do a doggone complete job of it. You can't want him to stop war and killing and molestation and human burning and ISIS and, and um, all of the uh, lawlessness in this world and then stay remoted from us. When he removes evil, it will include our fornication, our hatred, our racism, our resentment, our lack of love, it'll include it all. So I want the body of Christ to be very encouraged and realize that while things have not uh, gone as the way we would like for them to go, and we are still living in a world that is full of evil, but it's evil because people make a choice to be evil. You choose to molest a child. You choose to murder someone. You choose to do these things. And you choose to accept Christ. You choose to love Jesus. You choose to do good. You choose good or evil. So for God to remove evil, he's got to remove the choice for good. Choices have to be taken away. Yes, absolutely. You know, I think that whenever we think of our own choices, we try to justify our choices you know, and say that, well, well, I, I'm good and I've done all these things, but uh, 
And so we don't quite understand like our, our the ripple effects, so to speak, of everything we've, we've done in life. Um, because if God removes evil, he essentially at this point in stage removes us because we have that capacity to do evil. We have that capacity to make things suffer. And so if God removes those things and he removes us and I don't know about you, but I kind of don't want to go right now, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> at least not in that sense, you know? And so, well, it goes into what kind of view do you have of God? And that is something as I, that I've grown older with Blake. I've said in lethal faith family, um, what kind of God do you believe God is? Do you think he's a God that's going to get even with you? Or do you think he's a God of that's kind and good and loving? That's right. And, and, and so you, you have to ask yourself those questions and say, where does, where is God in my suffering? That I always come back to that question is that, you know, cause you even said it earlier is that, is that, God is our very present help in our time of need, you know, uh, and that God, God, uh, he comes in and he intervenes in our suffering. Well, how does God do that? You know, how, where, where, where is God at when, when, you know, the Armenian genocide and, uh, or the, the genocide of the Jews or, or down in Somalia when, when they had genocide there, where was God then? You know, th those are the questions I think that, we are really ultimately struggle with is that not that there is so much evil and we understand that, but where is God in the midst of those things? You know, that's a great question and I'll answer it in two ways. Uh, at least suggest an answer. Number one, when my young brother at 16 died tragically in a car wreck, I struggled because I was helping, and this is no exaggeration or sensationalism. I was helping a witch who was a stripper, whose boyfriend was a satanic priest, at least in his own mind and in his own actions, uh, who was graduating from Teen Challenge who had radically been saved. Wow. That I'd won to the Lord, won both of them to the Lord. And he was graduating in Cape Geraldo, Missouri. And I went up there and four hours back to Western Kentucky, all I could think is asking God, let me get this straight. I can travel all over the world and I can be helping someone else's kid love you and serve you. And while I'm gone, you can't even take care of my family. Yeah. I, I, I've walked that road. And I heard this story. It was in seminary, actually, at the Church of God Seminary in Cleveland there was this man who loved the Lord, a pastor to a little church, about a hundred people. And faithful pastor, loved people, well-known and respected in the community. Just, uh, just loved the people that he pastored. And his, every afternoon he would come out of the church, it was on a, a road there, and he would go and pick up his son uh, from school because the bus would drop him off right in front of the church. Well, he went out there one morning or afternoon to pick up his son, young son. It was, he was like seven or eight um, off the bus from school. And while he was doing so, a truck did not stop with the bus signal and ran over his son in front of him. Hmm. True story. And he was in shock 
of course, ambulance picked him up, corner, all that stuff, and he goes back into the church and sits on the front pew of the sanctuary he preached at every single Sunday and asked the question, God, where were you? And he, he told this story to, I think, my professor, and he said he eventually came to realize where God was. God was under the bus. Now, you can't say that about Greek gods. You cannot yeah. say it about Allah. You cannot say it about Islam. You cannot say it about Hinduism and the 30, what, 32 million gods. You cannot say it about the, uh, the writings of the Veda or, or the Quran. or you, you just can't say it about any other god. No gods suffer with their people. Nowhere. And I began to realize that when my brother died, his body landed on one side of Highway 41 and the car was on the other side of Highway 41. And there was um, a lady that was behind him who watched the wreck happen. And from where the doors swung open to the, my mom's car, um, there was paper coming out of the Lincoln or the, uh, the town car, whatever she had. And it went all the way across the road and stopped at the base of Dustin's head. And she got up, think he got out of the car, think called the police, and then uh, thinking that it was his homework because school had just let out for fall or spring break. And as she began to pick it up, it was the book of Second Timothy. Hmm. And Timothy went from the base of the car where he was thrown out of to the base of his head. And I realized that even in the midst of suffering, God was there. And that was his way of showing me. I, I've been right here. It's the way he showed the pastor. I, uh, I was under the bus. And the most comforting fact of Christianity to me isn't heaven. It isn't um, all the things we make it out to be. The most comforting fact of Christianity is that we have the only God that suffered with his people. He came, he died, he went through suffering as a human being and died on the cross. And the Buddhists would say humans caused it and it's your fault from bad karma. The Greek gods created suffering for human beings and they sure didn't refuse and won't suffer with human beings because they're gods. But the God of Christianity didn't hold that view. The Christian God is the only God who ever participated in the suffering of humanity. Close this out, Blake. Yeah. So we could go on and on and on about this subject. And it is so complex for me. Um, and it, it gets so deep. You know, and, and I think you're right, you know, is that God is with us in our suffering. Was that he chose to take a human form. And he came and he lived among people and suffered and died with us. And, and you're right, that, that's, the, that's the most comforting thing uh, for me, you know, also about Christianity. You know, like I said in the last podcast is that, you know, this week I, I, I've just had to come to grips w with something, you know, because my daughter was diagnosed with, with uh, autism this week. And I remember last year we, we kind of began to recognize some symptoms and I remember begging God, pleading with God. I'm talking about, I, I took a fast, you know, and, and 
asking God to touch my daughter's mind. To, you know, you know, I'm, I was claiming the scripture, you know, she has the mind of Christ, you know, and I'm begging God and pleading with God, you know, and, and then it's like, we get, we get a diagnosis, you know, the other day. And I'm just like, I'm, that's the question I began to ask myself was, where was you, God? Could you have not have intervened here? Could you have not have come down and through your divine mercy touched my daughter? But in reality, he already has. He's already come and touched my daughter because he came and he was suffering there and he was suffering with her in, in an aspect. And and for me, that, that's really the, the comfort that I bring out of that. And, and, and so will I continue to pray for my daughter? Absolutely. Uh, but just to know that there is comfort in a God who chose to be with his people to me, that's the greatest comfort of all. And so I encourage you guys to, to go to our website and, and to engage with us on this topic. Because like we said, this topic can go on and on and on and can get incredibly deep. So go to our website, uh, engage with us there. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe. And as always, keep it lethal, guys. Thanks for listening to the Lethal Faith Podcast, brought to you by the Never Before Project. To find out more about the Never Before Project or be a part of the discussion, visit our website at neverbefore.tv. You can also visit us on Facebook at the Never Before Project. Join us next week for another episode of Lethal Faith.